Let me be very clear. Things are going to continue to get worse before they get better. We will get through this. We will defeat this pandemic. I can't tell if that's good news or bad. Can you? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I think it's both. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Rochester, New York on WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950. KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for you on the internets. Even in the Joe Biden era. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all around, swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Uh, as it turns out, like a friend of mine texted me today, he woke up and found out that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were still president and vice president, even today. <laughs> Yay. What? Neat how that works, isn't it? Yeah. I, I You know, I don't know if it's uh, seeing all of these things sort of all at once after four years of horrendous mismanagement by the previous administration, or if it's just that things were so much worse during the Trump administration than anybody had actually even imagined. Uh, but I, I, you know, I mentioned on yesterday's show the need for the Biden administration to have a massive cleanup on aisle 45. Well, that uh, that project, it seems, is going to need to be more massive and take much longer, I suspect, than most folks realize as based just on the early information now coming out of the new administration on its first full day in office. This is a mess. What they were left was a mess. But as Joe Biden called for uh, for for defending the truth and defeating lies during his inaugural address, uh, we will continue to take that charge quite seriously and try to help everyone, all of us, uh, get back to the truth of what really is and isn't going on around here after four years of just apparently utter mismanagement, which would be a nice way to put it. 
raging incompetence is more like it. Yes. Is more like it. Uh, out of control corruption might be another way you could describe it. All of the above. All of the above under the Trump administration. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hey. Uh, you know, there's a lot going on. A lot going on today. Just just like, by the way, the first days of the Trump administration, as far as a lot going on all at once. Oh, yes, definitely. Although it's not nearly as terrifying and horrible and awful <laughs> to see a, you know, a rather uh, panicked, manic cleanup versus a panicked, manic destruction of the nation, as we saw four years ago. Oh, exactly. And you're absolutely right. It's going to take a lot of time and effort and attention to rebuild all of these different agencies that have been destroyed, decimated by the Trump mismanagement. And of course, you know, making sure that more Americans, as few Americans as possible, die from COVID. So I think it's important for people to understand what is going on, what we are learning, what Joe Biden is actually doing about it. So, as I say, it's going to take a while to sort of slog through this mess, not just for him and the administration, but for us to try to help you understand what it is he is trying to do successfully or otherwise. So let's just start here today uh, where the new administration itself seems to be starting uh, overall in its triage to sort of clean up this disastrous mess left by Trump with the uh, with the covid crisis, which just so happens to have seen. On the day that Joe Biden was inaugurated, uh, the largest single day death toll to date, according to the COVID tracking project, that was a record 4,409 deaths on Wednesday, January 20th, Inauguration Day alone. More than 4,400 Americans died from COVID. There are uh, more than 122,000 people currently hospitalized with COVID-19. The death, the total death toll rate uh, is now about 410,000, which, as Joe Biden emphasized again today, is more Americans than all of those killed during World War II. With that in mind, uh, he also emphasized that it underscores the need for a wartime approach to this national, to this global disaster, really, but as far as what uh, can be done immediately about it in this country, uh, to this national disaster that is decimating not just the lives of Americans, but also the American economy along with it. So let's start with efforts to combat the disease itself, as the Biden administration spent much of its first full day in the White House addressing a confluence of crises with the pandemic at the top of that list. The Biden team said it had identified 12, quote, immediate supply shortfalls in the Trump administration's pandemic response plans, which Biden began to address on Thursday in remarks about his uh, his approach to confronting the crisis before signing about 10 executive orders all at once to immediately begin the Herculean task, uh, made more Herculean, I guess, by what appears to be virtually no effort at all by the previous administration to build out any real kind of national response. Some of Mr. Biden's advisors, according to The New York Times, said they were stunned by the vaccination plan or the lack of one that it inherited from the Trump administration and said the Trump team failed to share crucial information about supplies and vaccine availability. 
Jeff Zients, I think. Is that how you say it? Zients? I believe so. Zients? I believe it's Zients. Zients. Uh, Jeff Zients, the new White House COVID-19 response coordinator, said, what we're inheriting is so much worse than we could have imagined. Oh, dear. Essentially, they are saying there was no real plan in place at all for vaccine distribution with the previous administration leaving pretty pretty much everything up to each state to figure out separately on their own. Something that the Biden administration is now aiming to quickly correct as they learn what was and what was not done previously. According to Zeins, he said the cooperation or lack of cooperation from the Trump administration has been an impediment. We don't have the visibility that we would hope to have into things like supply and allocations, he noted as just one example. A source told CNN on Thursday morning that the new administration will, quote, have to build everything from scratch, thanks to former President Donald Trump's reported lack of strategy with vaccine rollout. Uh, The source said, quote, there is nothing for us to rework, they said. Biden will have to start from, quote, square one, said another source who called Trump's non-existent distribution plan, quote, just further affirmation of complete incompetence. In response on Thursday, President Biden pledging a, quote, full-scale wartime effort to combat the coronavirus pandemic signed a string of executive orders and presidential directives aimed at combating the worst public health crisis in a century, even as Republicans and some experts said that his plan is actually not ambitious enough. Let me be very clear. Things are going to continue to get worse before they get better. The death toll will likely top 500,000 next month. The cases will continue to mount. We didn't get into this mess overnight. It's going to take months for us to turn things around. But let me be equally clear. We will get through this. We will defeat this pandemic. And to a nation waiting for action, let me be the clearest on this point. Help is on the way. Today, today, I am unveiling a national strategy on COVID-19 and executive actions to beat this pandemic. Our national strategy is comprehensive. It's based on science, not politics. It's based on truth, not denial. And it's detail. Joe Biden went on to say that uh, history is going to measure whether we are up to the task. He declared uh, during an appearance in the state dining room, of the White House, where he was making the remarks with Vice President Kamala Harris and Dr. Anthony Fauci. You've heard of him. (laughs) His chief COVID-19 medical advisor, both by his side, uh, he went on to say this. We will make sure that science and public scientists and public health experts will speak directly to you. That's why you're going to hear a lot more from Dr. Fauci again, not from the president, but from the real genuine experts and scientists. We're going to make sure they work free from political interference and they make decisions strictly based on science and health care alone, science and health alone, not what the political consequences are. The Vice President Harris and I and our entire administration will always be honest and transparent with you about both the good news and the bad. We will level with you when we make a mistake. 
will straight up say what happened. And I said at the outset, the honest truth is we're still in a dark winter of this pandemic. It's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to take many months to get where we need to be. So there you go. Both uh, bad news and good. (laughs) Yes. Well, that is kind of how it is. So I'm glad he's saying it straight up. In a 200-page document released uh, on Thursday called National Strategy for the COVID-19 Response and Pandemic Preparedness, the new administration outlines the kind of centralized federal response that Democrats have long been demanding and that Donald Trump simply refused. But the Biden plan is in some respects Overly optimistic and in others, not ambitious enough, according to experts. Uh, His promise to inject 100 million vaccines in his first 100 days is aiming low, they say, since those 100 days should see twice that number of doses available. Frankly, when I heard he wanted to get, you know, 100 uh, vaccinations out there in 100 days, I thought 100 million, 100 million out there in, in the first 100 days. To me, that sounded insanely impossible given the rate that we've been going at. But experts, in fact, are saying uh, that number should be higher, though. Again, they are largely starting from scratch here on how to get those vaccines out at all and into people's arms with no roadmap left behind by the previous administration. None. Biden said the brutal truth is it's going to take months before we can get the majority of Americans vaccinated. At the end of this uh, appearance where he made remarks and signed uh, executive actions, the Times notes that he went off script a little bit after signing 10 different executive orders to begin the necessary response by bristling at a reporter's suggestion that his goal to get 100 million shots into the arms of Americans in the first 100 days was not ambitious enough. In response, Biden said, When I announced, y'all said it's not possible. Come on. Give me a break, man. It only took him a day to get to the, give me a break, man. Yeah, and then he just sort of walked out of the room. He was done. He had more work to do today and... Well, he's not wrong. No, he's got a lot of work to do, uh, and uh, he uh, a lot of it's ahead. And so, yeah, you know, anyway, good. The media needs to press him wherever they can. But it was nice to see him uh, toss us a give me a break, man. <laughs> uh, efforts to untangle and speed up the distribution of vaccines, perhaps the most pressing challenge for the Biden administration but also the most promising path forward, according to the Times, will be a desperate race against time as states across the country, including New York and California, have warned that they could run out of doses as early as, oh, this weekend. Biden has indicated his administration would release more doses as they became available and keep fewer in reserve Meanwhile, using the Korean War era Defense Production Act to mandate efforts by the private sector to increase production quickly. How quickly that can happen, that still remains to be seen as well. The administration is asking for uh, asking Congress for one point nine trillion for pandemic relief. And the White House officials say that they would need much of that money in order to put their covid-19 plan into place. Our national strategy is comprehensive, 
based on science, not politics, based on truth, not denial. And it's detailed, said Biden, referring to that 200-page plan posted at WhiteHouse.gov, if you'd like to start reading it now. The plan starts with the national vaccine, uh, vaccination campaign in order to meet that goal of 100 million shots in, an, in his first 100 days in office. That, of course, is only enough to cover 50 million Americans with vaccines because they require two doses. The day after being sworn in, Biden went on, as I noted, to sign at least 10 executive orders, memorandums, directives focused on the pandemic, ramping up supplies for vaccination, testing and personal protective equipment and, uh, and another boosting development of therapeutics to treat COVID-19. Biden emphasized the need for Americans to wear face masks in order to stop the spread, saying masks are, quote, even more important than the vaccines. The president signed an executive order on his first day in office on Wednesday requiring masks in federal buildings and on federal lands. And he asked Americans to wear masks for his first 100 days in office. Following through on his uh, campaign proposals, he signed two executive orders creating a national pandemic testing board to improve U.S. coronavirus testing capacity. When I heard about that, it occurred to me that it is somewhat amazing that we don't have a national testing board to oversee testing after, what has it been, almost a year now at this point? Yes, it's actually been exactly a year since the first COVID infection was reported in the United States. So now, I guess, we'll have a national pandemic testing board and a COVID-19 health equity task force to ensure an equitable pandemic response and recovery. Another executive order uh, was to enhance the nation's collection, production, sharing and analysis of data about the virus. Apparently, we don't have that either. He directed FEMA to offer full reimbursement to states for the cost of National Guard personnel and emergency supplies like PPE for schools. Really? The federal government was not covering that previously either? Biden asked the Department of Education and the Department of Health and Human Services to provide guidance for safe reopening and operating of schools, child care providers, and institutions of higher education. Again, amazing that this was not already in place. He signed an executive order calling on the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA, to release clear guidance on COVID-19 for the workplace, to decide whether to establish emergency temporary standards, and to direct OSHA to enforce worker health and safety requirements. Incredibly, it seems none of this was done previously. Building on the order that he signed Wednesday regarding mask mandates on, uh, on federal property, he also took action on Thursday to require facial coverings in airports and on certain modes of transportation, including many trains, planes, maritime vessels, and intercity buses. He is also issuing a directive to restore America's leadership, support the international pandemic response effort. Yes, we have not been working with the international community on all of this. In fact, we had uh, Donald Trump actually pulled out of the World Health Organization in the middle of all of this. And canceled their funding. He uh, directed his directive also promotes resilience for future threats. Oh, there's an idea. 
You mean this won't be the last time this ever happens? And to advance global health security and the global health security agenda. Newly installed White House COVID coordinator Jeff Zients told reporters Wednesday that Biden's pandemic strategy will be, quote, a fundamentally different approach from the Trump administration and will be driven by science, data and public health, not politics. For almost a year now, he said, Americans could not look to the federal government for any strategy, let alone a comprehensive approach to respond to covid And we have seen the tragic costs of that failure. As President Biden steps into office, that will change, said Zeintz. And of course, not a moment too soon. All of this comes after a year, a year of non-action by a president who tried to put his political fortunes and his political health above the nation's actual health which I suspect, by the way, will go down as not only one of the deadliest mistakes in our nation's history, but also one of the dumbest ones. I mean, even on a political level, given that, you know, handling the pandemic like an adult at any point throughout this crisis would probably have sealed Donald Trump's reelection bid. America loves to rally around its president during times of crisis, Instead of that, uh, he did the exact opposite. He didn't act like an adult. He pretended that all of this was nonsense and a hoax and it was all a a scheme by the Democrats to keep him from getting reelected. Instead, now the nation is devastated on both the health uh, level and the economic level. And of course, Trump is out of a job. So there's that part, at least. Uh, But the toll is unspeakable in both Uh, deaths and to the economy itself, according to numbers released by the Federal Bureau of uh, Labor Statistics today. Uh, Now, remember, prior to the covid crisis, we haven't talked about this in a while because it's been so uh, redundant, repetitive, these numbers week after week. But prior to the covid crisis, the worst all time number of new weekly jobless claims was 695,000. That was the worst week uh, you know, ever for uh, new unemployment claims. That number, however, has been blown away every single week for the past, I think it's 44 weeks since the first case emerged before uh, as cases then began rising last March, almost a year ago. Every single week we have seen new jobless claims far above 695,000, sometimes into the millions, once or twice as high as three or even six million in a single week. But this has been happening every single week. And now, according to new numbers out today, as reported by Washington Post, another 900,000 people filed new unemployment claims last week. That is Donald Trump's last week in office just by way of a quick snapshot of the significant labor market challenges that are that is now facing President Biden and uh, that I want to make sure you understand before Republicans start claiming, 
remember how they remember how they uh, used to blame uh, uh, Barack Obama because under him the food stamp the level of food stamps was higher than ever before under Barack Obama he was giving away food stamps left and right right because they would pretend like the Great Recession that happened under their watch never happened at all and the, so it was Obama just out of nowhere giving people start all this giving food away stamps. food what a terrible economy uh, economy Obama had that he had to give away all those food stamps. So let's be clear, 900,000 people filed new unemployment claims in the final week of Donald Trump's, his last week in office. Also in that same week, an additional 423,000 people in 47 states also filed new claims for pandemic unemployment assistance. That is a separate program to help uh, self-employed workers and gig workers and so forth. So that is on top of the 900,000. So it puts the number of new claims, new jobless claims for unemployment assistance in Donald Trump's last week above 1.3 million in that last week alone. Altogether now, nearly 16 million people are claiming benefits. Actually, that was as of January 2nd. That's the last week available for that measurement as of today. That number is expected to increase, of course, in the coming weeks as people who were dropped from the unemployment rolls when their benefits expired, uh, when they file new claims to take advantage of uh, the new extension passed by Congress at the last minute in December, which you'll recall Trump waited until after the start of the year to sign. The uh, latest uh, weekly benchmark paints a dire portrait, says the uh, Post. Weekly jobless claims are now where they were at the beginning of September. It is the 44th straight week that the initial claims remain higher than the very worst week of the Great Recession back in 2007-2008. That, that is what Biden is inheriting, one of the worst job markets of any modern president. With the country's unemployment rate now at 6.7 percent, nearly 10 million fewer people with jobs than at the beginning of last year before the pandemic struck, and wreaked havoc on industries like tourism and hospitality and food service. Once again, just as when Obama took office in uh, in 2009, another Democrat is now inheriting an economy in pretty much complete freefall after insane mismanagement, and again, putting that kindly, mismanagement by a Republican president. And yet, somehow, Americans still seem to regard the Republican Party as the party of uh, responsible uh, fiscal uh, conservatism, responsible fiscal management. They're better when it comes to the economy. How is that even possible? Well, I would tell you how it's possible, because that's the BS that most Americans actually hear when they drive to and from work every day over our public airwaves, which are dominated by corporatist right wing extremist talk radio, because corporations have been allowed to buy up our public airwaves who put shows onto the air meant to shore up their corporate profits. That's how this works. It's not meant to you know, help the, the, the public or even the public economy which would help everyday Americans. So lucky for those Republicans who keep killing the economy 
every time they take uh, they, every time they take power, lucky for them that the folks you know that they hire to go on uh, onto our public airwaves to discuss all of this also tell their listeners that it is somehow the fault of Democrats, which is absolutely maddening. All of it done, by the way, and there's plenty to criticize Democrats about. Don't get me wrong. But when these, uh, you know, when they're when they're making claims, as they did with Obama, oh, he was the food stamp president. He was the food stamp president because George W. Bush ran the economy into the toilet. So, uh, you know, it's somehow it is it is absolutely maddening. It's, it's also, you know, Republican corporations, by the way, who are putting these right wingers on the radio. They are enjoying the FCC's socialist policies that license the nation's public airwaves essentially for free to those corporations. So that's how all of this is happening. But I digress uh, because it's maddening and happens time and time and year after year again and again. And Americans keep falling for it and they keep electing Republicans only to lurch back away from them after the next Republican president devastates the nation's economy. And when a president like Joe Biden shows up and then asks for one point nine trillion dollars to try to fix the problem that the Republicans have caused, Republicans, they suddenly become, you know, quote unquote, conservative champions of, of fiscal responsibility and austerity. They don't want to give any of this money to help Americans because, you know, they've already given away the store with trillions in tax cuts and socialist payouts to the wealthiest Americans and huge corporations. So now they claim, oh, we don't have the money for that. Our debt is already way too big. Don't listen to those tax and spend liberals who want to take your money and ruin the economy that we have already destroyed over the past four years. So perhaps at least we may take some comfort uh, with, as the uh, Post reports, the, the pandemic has wreaked havoc on industries like tourism, hospitality and food service. We can take some comfort that at least one guy whose business is heavily weighted in those sectors also appears to be in deep, deep trouble today, as it is reported that Donald Trump's own businesses are also apparently being devastated amid his own failure to recognize the coronavirus, no, was not just the Democratic hoax to run him out of office. According to Bloomberg, Donald Trump's empire has been hit hard by the uh, virus and the closures along with it, with revenue from his Washington and Vegas hotels down by more than half. In his last financial disclosure form as president, Trump detailed the damage that the pandemic has wrought for him. At a time when many tourist uh, tourism businesses are suffering from a lack of travelers as president, Bloomberg notes that uh, Trump resisted policies to slow the pandemic through mask wearing and insisted it remained safe for people to travel domestically. When, of course, it wasn't. And many Americans were able to see right through his B.S. So they did not show up at his properties. Revenue from the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C., which he's been trying to sell, 
uh, fell to just a little bit more than 15 million from more than 40 million just one year earlier, according to the disclosure that was posted on Wednesday. Uh, Trump's last day in office in Vegas, hotel related sales at his properties were down more than nine million dollars from uh, from twenty three million dollars the year uh, prior. Another important property of Trump's is the Doral, <clears throat> the Doral Golf Club Golf Resort in Miami. It also saw its revenues drop to forty four million from seventy seven million just one year earlier. In uh, the U.K. and Ireland, revenue from his uh, golf courses out there is also plummeting bigly. It dropped by roughly two-thirds from the prior year. So, for example, the Turnberry uh, Scotland golf course, it made $25.7 million in uh, 2020. In uh, in, uh, 2019 and uh, the following year, 9.8 9.8 million. So things are not going well for Trump's business, which is fine by me. His buildings are said to be saddled with more than $1 billion in debt, most of that apparently coming due in the next three years, and more than a third of it has been personally guaranteed by the president. Well, maybe he can turn to all of those MAGA mob folks who gave him, I don't know, it was something like $400 million last time I checked to continue his his uh, terrible quest to try to overturn the election. So he's got their money. He does. Whether he can uh, use it like this to pay, <clears throat> to pay off his uh, billion dollars in debt, I don't know. I'm sure he'll try. In the meantime, uh, the banks want to have nothing to do with him following the deadly riot at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Deutsche Bank has said it won't do business with him anymore. Uh, firms that uh, you know managed his properties in New York have said, we don't want nothing to do with you. The PGA has pulled out their tournaments from his courses. So we we shall see. So I guess we can take that as good news amongst all of this bad. In more cleanup on aisle 45 uh, news here today, uh, in addition to the boatload of executive orders that Biden will continue to sign to reverse the excesses and the uh, corruption of the Trump administration over the coming days, uh, more of which, by the way, Desi Doyen will be discussing in today's Green News Report. Yep. In addition to that, uh, Biden also fired a bunch of political operatives that Trump had hoped to burrow into the U.S. government even after Trump was gone. He fired the National Labor Relations Board general counsel on Wednesday evening after the guy refused to resign. The news of the firing of Peter Robb, a Trump appointee and the board's top lawyer, was first reported by Bloomberg Law, then it was confirmed by Politico and The Washington Post. It came just hours after Biden's inauguration and uh, uh, signals efforts by the administration to break with the former president whose labor policies failed to advocate for workers and unions. You know, the labor part of the National Labor Relations Board. What a concept. Bloomberg Law reported that the Biden administration asked Rob to resign, but with 10 months left in his Senate-confirmed role, he refused to do so. In a letter addressed to the Office of Presidential Personnel, Rob challenged what he called a move that was, quote, unprecedented. The Post said that Biden reportedly told Rob he should step down by 5 p.m. or he would be fired. 
Later that evening, the general counsel position on the board responsible for overseeing union elections and upholding workers' rights to organize <clears throat> was listed as vacant. So he's out. The move comes as Biden is carrying out a campaign pledge he made to, quote, be the most pro-union president you've ever seen. That shouldn't be hard, should it? A former uh, management lawyer, Rob, was involved in the Reagan era battle against the Air Traffic Controllers Union. Remember that? The one that ended up gutting that union, firing all the air traffic controllers uh, because they dared to go on strike. Democrats had broadly criticized the Labor Relations Board during Trump's tenure because it took a pro-management position on pretty much everything. Rob's forced deport departure could foreshadow a, uh, a Biden presidency that delivers on promises to prioritize workers. But we shall see. Earlier this month, however, Biden did tap Boston Mayor Marty Walsh as his labor secretary pick. Uh, his transition team said that if confirmed by the Senate, Walsh could become, quote, the first union member to serve in the role of labor secretary in nearly half a century. That really does blow my mind. It blows my mind, too. He was just uh, one of the uh, initial uh, round of firings that are going on. We'll try to get to some more of them as the days continue. And as he uh, as as I say, as the cleanup on aisle 45 continues. But I have to take a break here because I'm running ridiculously late. <laughs> yes. And I want to get to uh, some other related but important stuff straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to the broadcast. Don't touch that dial. Do radios even have dials anymore? <laughs> What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So I've got this guy, uh, some guy who, I, you know, I don't know if he's a listener or he's a, or just a reader at bradblog.com. Uh, I, I think he may have listened once or twice. He's been writing me email. Uh, you can do so, too, at bradcast at bradblog.com. He's been writing me a mail for the past couple of months telling me uh, what a deranged, uh, misinformed, libtard snowflake that I am. <laughs> Because I didn't know uh, that there was absolutely no way that I was living in fantasy land because there was absolutely no way that Joe Biden, who is apparently both a communist and a pedophile, according to this super genius, uh, there was absolutely no way that Joe Biden was going to be sworn in as president on January 20 and Donald Trump absolutely was going to have a second term. And that if I wasn't such a stupid, clueless, liberal snowflake, I might know that because the election was absolutely, totally stolen from Donald Trump with massive fraud by China and Italy and Germany and you know, where people have already been arrested for this fraud. Did you know that, Des? They've already been rounding up people in Germany and Italy. 
Did you know that? I had no idea. Well, anyway, after several weeks of they haven't been, there's, nobody's been arrested. None anyway, of this stuff is true. Correct. Uh, anyway, after several weeks of back and forth with this dude, uh, either you know he sort of stopped writing me or, I don't know, maybe I stopped writing him. I was trying to help him understand that he was being lied to and played for a sucker because I'm such a nice guy. Anyway, we stopped writing each other, but then, uh, you know, with note after note telling me how I was going to feel so stupid and like such an idiot on January 20 when Joe Biden did not become president because I live in, quote, fantasy land. You know, I thought I would check in with him on uh, on Inauguration Day. And how did that turn out? Well, actually, it was quite interesting. The dude is still nuts. Uh, But he began uh, saying things for the first time in response, like, uh, you know, I'm naive for not seeing how the election was totally stolen for Joe Biden. But the quote, he said, that's maybe more naive than me thinking Trump would be any different from the others. And quote, I'll admit it seems I was wrong about Trump and his agenda, but I'm not wrong about Biden being illegitimate. So (laughs) he said, "Okay." So maybe that's progress. I don't know, because he is admitting that, uh, oh, maybe Trump ain't so good. After all, maybe maybe he sort of lied to me. So obviously the dude is a QAnon dude, I guess it's fair to say. A QAnon cult member. Yes, that's the conspiracy theory cult, which believes Democrats are child-eating pedophiles. Who worship Satan. Right. And drink the blood of babies. Like they don't. (laughs) And that uh, and of course, that Donald Trump would soon be rounding them all up in a huge uh, public arrest of the deep state and holding trials and executing them all. And also that he was definitely going to have a second term and that the inauguration itself was was planned as a trick to get all of these deep staters and Democrats into one place so they could all be arrested and tried and executed as traitors, etc. Funny thing that it, it that does not seem to have actually happened on Inauguration Day. And now the QAnon folks are reportedly pretty despondent about it all. And they think that maybe just maybe as crazy as it sounds, Uh, Some of them think that maybe they had been lied to about all of this. What? I know. Some QAnon conspiracy theorists in public and private Internet forums and chat rooms were despondent on Wednesday, according to NBC News, as their prophecy of an Inauguration Day coup to keep Donald Trump in power failed again as Joe Biden was sworn into office. The situation left some QAnon adherents with no choice but to write off the conspiracy theory entirely. QAnon supporters believed Wednesday's inauguration was an elaborate trap set by the former president, wherein Democrats would be rounded up and executed while Trump retained power. Now, there were other various doomsday uh, scenarios theorized by the QAnon community over the past, I don't know, a couple of years. Those dates have also come and gone without incident, but... They always had, you know, that last day of the inauguration as the great trip, the uh, the, the the big storm, the great awakening, whatever they called it. However, in contrast with the other failed dates, doomsday dates that have come and gone, Biden's inauguration kind of leaves the community with very little daylight to survive at this time. As their predictions failed to come true, radicalized QAnon members expressed their sense of betrayal on messaging apps. 
while Biden took the office, a top post on a QAnon forum read, quote, I don't think this is supposed to happen and wondered, quote, how long does it take the Fed to run up the stairs and arrest him? Other users became immediately dejected, realizing that their dreams of a bloody coup actually were not going to be realized. Uh, quote, anyone else feeling beyond let down, said one top post on a popular QAnon forum. It's like being a kid and seeing the big gift under the tree, thinking it's exactly what you want, only to open it and realize it was a lump of coal. They really wanted to see mass executions of Democrats, and they're so mad it can't believe it didn't happen. Yeah, apparently. Now, of course, mind you, uh, that's what they got for the last four years under, under Donald Trump was quite literally a lump of coal, <laughs> given his environmental policies. One of the largest QAnon groups uh, on Telegram closed comments to let everyone, quote, take a breather. After the uh, after Biden's inauguration, when it reopened after it was accused of censorship, thousands of users expressed a range of reaction, confusion and realization that QAnon was, in fact, a hoax. And then some had a renewed commitment to the conspiracy theory. Uh, anyway, Ron Watkins, <laughs> the former administrator for the message board and QAnon hub called 8 Kuhn. Uh, and a major force behind the uh, false conspiracy theories surrounding the election results, he seemed to capitulate, posting a note to his more than 100,000 followers saying, quote, we gave it our all. Now we need to keep our chins up and go back to our lives as best as we are able. Sad. <laughs> uh, so also, you know, some QAnon folks spent weeks preparing for a nationwide blackout that was going to happen at noon on Inauguration Day. They warned their friends and their family. Uh, and I got notes about this, uh, warning people to buy food, stock up on food, buy CB radios. Did yep. you get some of that from your I did too. friends and family members? Oh, yes. I wonder how much money they all wasted. Uh, they thought that Trump was going to announce martial law through the emergency alert system. And then carry out these mass arrests. Of course, many of these QAnon followers were the ones who stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Uh, but uh, alas, it did not come to pass. Uh, one supporter said at the beginning of the inauguration, if nothing happens, I will no longer believe in anything. Another one said moments later, we all just got played. I tried to warn them, but, you know... They didn't listen. I did try to help my, my QAnon friend who writes me and tells me I'm a liberal libturd snowflake. Anyway, with everyone despondent now, uh, reportedly, uh, uh, one of the researchers of these groups said we're seeing a lot of neo-Nazis preying on the potentially disenfranchised, disenchanted uh, Q people. But the neo-Nazis themselves are also having trouble as well, it seems. The Proud Boys... Uh, the far-right group that declared its undying loyalty to President Trump. Apparently that loyalty is uh, a little bit more dying than we thought. In a November 8 post in a private channel of the uh, messaging app Telegram, uh, the group urged its followers to attend protests against an election that it said had been fraudulently, fraudulently stolen. Hail Emperor Trump, they said. But by this week, the group's attitude towards Trump had changed, saying, quote, Trump will go down as a total failure. 
Even the Proud Boys don't like him. They described him as a shill and extraordinarily weak, according to messages reviewed by the New York Times. They are also despondent. They said when when Trump told them that if he left office, America would fall into an abyss, they believed him, said one of the uh, consultants and researchers who uh, study the Proud Boys. Now, now that he's left office, they believe he has both surrendered and failed to do his patriotic duty. Last week, uh, one of the leaders of another far-right group called America First wrote on his Telegram channel that Trump's response to the Capitol rampage was very weak and flaccid, saying he's not the same guy that that ran in 2015. One Proud Boys Telegram group welcomed President Biden to office, saying at least the incoming administration is honest about their intentions. Boy, when even the Proud Boys turn on you... You're in trouble. Uh, Some Proud Boys uh, now say in online posts that the group should go dark entirely, retreat from politics. I agree. (laughs) They're encouraging one another to focus their energies on the secessionist movements and uh, on local protests. One message in a Proud Boys channel read on Wednesday to all demoralized Trump supporters. There is hope. There is an alternative. Abandon the GOP and the Dems. Okay, sounds good to me. All of that right around the same time that Donald Trump was talking about, hey, maybe we should start up another party. The Patriot Party will be uh, how I will run. And I'm sure they'll all be very happy together. That sounds good to you as well, doesn't it? Yep. All right, quick break, and we are back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report with more on the cleanup on aisle 45. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to the Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Clean up on aisle 45. <laughs> Clean up on aisle 45. Welcome back to the broadcast. Uh, and uh, oh, well, so more cleanup. Yes, indeed. Yep. Uh, even in and this is going to happen, I think, for a while, for days, weeks, months. I years. don't know. Well, yeah, years. Anyway, as we discuss in our latest Green News report. A cry for survival comes from planet itself. A cry that can't be any more desperate or any more clear. Green News Report special coverage. Democratic President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris take office, renewing hope for meaningful U.S. climate action. All of that hope and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Stop the shouting and lower the temperature. I don't think he was talking about climate there, but it sounds like a good plan anyway. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, after four long, horrible, treacherous, dangerous years, we finally have a new president in the White House and maybe some hope 
For climate action? Really? Yep, maybe some hope for climate action. Donald Trump is gone from the White House, but he did do plenty of damage over that hellishly long four-year term, damage that new Democratic President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris moved swiftly to begin repairing in their first hours after the inauguration on Wednesday. In his inaugural address, President Biden called for Americans to unite to solve the nation's four major simultaneous crises, the COVID-19 pandemic, the ailing economy, racial injustice, and climate in crisis. Are we going to step up? All of us? It's time for boldness, for there's so much to do. We will be judged, you and I, by how we resolve these cascading crises of our era. After the ceremonies were over, Biden went to work, signing a host of environment-related executive orders and actions with more to be issued in coming days and weeks. The actions amount to a stark rebuke of Trump's destructive approach to the environment and energy that increased deadly water and air pollution, dismantled U.S. climate policy, and decimated federal environmental standards and enforcement, all to primarily benefit polluting industries. Primarily? I would say solely. Who the hell else was it supposed to benefit? Biden's immediate orders on Wednesday included rescinding the permit for the controversial Keystone XL tar sands pipeline from Canada. Excellent. A temporary moratorium on oil and gas leasing in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge that Trump recently opened up to development. Also excellent. And a big one internationally, beginning the process of rejoining the United Nations Paris Climate Agreement, which commits the U.S. to cutting its greenhouse gas emissions. That process will take 30 days. But as environmental journalist David Roberts notes, the pledge to rejoin the Paris Agreement is really better thought of as a pledge to enact domestic carbon policy to meet the U.S. commitment. Yeah, exactly. And to that end, Biden will issue more climate-related directives in coming weeks. Some of them could take years to be implemented, requiring action from Congress or the lengthy federal agency rules process. The list includes a sweeping order for federal agencies to review more than 100 public health and environmental standards that Trump eliminated or weakened, like restricting science in federal assessments, allowing logging roads to be built in Alaska's Tongass National Forest, Biden plans to restore standards for vehicle fuel economy and tailpipe emissions, standards for methane emissions for oil and gas drilling, and money-saving energy efficiency standards for appliances and buildings. He's also going to review boundaries for national monuments that were slashed by the Trump administration, like the Bears Ears National Monuments. Those are actions that Biden can issue on his own authority, but to achieve meaningful, durable climate action, Biden must get Congress on board to immediately pass his $1.9 trillion COVID emergency relief package, which would set the nation on the path to an economy-wide transition to clean energy and reaching net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Now, some would say, what does a COVID relief bill have to do with climate change or the environment? It includes provisions to revive the economy with green jobs and building infrastructure because green jobs are a great way to rebuild the economy. Gotcha. But Democrats have only a razor-thin majority in the House and a one-vote majority in the Senate with Vice President Kamala Harris as the tiebreaker. Republicans are already against all of it. 
And congressional midterm elections are less than two years from now in 2022. And if Republicans win either House of Congress, they can obstruct everything. Oh, they can obstruct everything anyway. That said, they can use the reconciliation process to pass a whole bunch of this stuff in the Senate with a simple majority rather than having to defeat a filibuster. And we can get those green jobs. Yes. So for now, Biden's inauguration marks a turning point, giving the U.S. and the world a fighting chance against climate change. Of course, Joe Manchin will have to go along with it in the Senate, but we'll cross that coal-loving bridge when we get to it. For much more on all of this and the stories we couldn't get to, thanks to the inauguration, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Come on now, people, let's get on the ball and work together. Yes. Come on, come on, let's work together. Grandpa Joe says everyone should work together, Desi Doyen. (laughs) Indeed he does. I'm sure they will. But uh, no, I think Republicans are going to put as much obstruction as they can in front of everything because that works for them. They are, of course. But, you know, that's what they do. But I'm worried about the Democrats, the Joe Manchins, the Kirsten Sinemas, uh, and whether, you know, we can use that reconciliation process to pass a lot of this stuff, which can be done with a simple majority. Don't yes. have to worry about filibusters. But remember, it can only be done three times a year. That's it. Okay, but they can put a whole lot of stuff this into those three times as long as they're considered to be budget-related things. As long as they can squeeze it in that way and they can get those uh, conservative Democrats to come along. So there's a lot of work ahead and a lot of engagement from voters that will help these things get passed. To uh, let the, especially voters in West Virginia and uh, Arizona. Arizona. Yeah, let those, although, you know, there's also people like uh, Utah's Mitt Romney and Alaska's Lisa Murkowski. They could do the right thing. Although everything says right now they're not planning on doing the right thing. They're all going to pretend to be fiscal conservatives again. Let them hear from you. Yes, please. Uh, You can call. By the way, you can call your member of Congress or your senator. uh, 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. All right, that's it. Got to get out. Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always appreciated. Uh, You can download any of our shows anytime. Share them with your friends, your family, your QAnon uh, neighbors at bradblog.com. Download it for free. All made possible by those of you who support our efforts to stay on your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Now is a great time to sign up. Uh, for a monthly subscription for any amount you like, we could use your help. Drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. We all got to work together, people. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Well, now together we will stand and-